Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. We have a special treat for you this week as Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports is joining us. We're going to talk edge, guys. This is a very robust and deep edge class. Uh, We're going to talk about the guys at the top, the guys in the middle, some sleepers at the back end, who's going to go early, and who might the Vikings target. Find out next on The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis. Contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me today, as I mentioned, is the lead draft writer for Yahoo Sports. His name is Eric Edholm. Eric, I have a little bit. I have a little message for you. Uh, Thor okay. said he would have accepted uh, this booking today, except that he knew that he wouldn't accept it for the night of the national championship game. But he knew a yeah. Missouri grad would. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good one from Thor. He knew I, I wasn't going to watch it, other than maybe to tune in and kind of rage watch a few minutes of it. It, it. Look, it's a tough time to be a Missouri basketball fan, but then again. It's been a tough time to be a Missouri basketball fan since I have been a Missouri basketball fan. So this is nothing new. Just send a message back and let him know that when football season rolls along, the sport that we all love, um, you know, he can watch our team play and learn how, how the sport works. And uh, certainly uh, he can turn on the TV and watch Kansas if he wants, but I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, even the one really good year for Kansas, he spoiled their undefeated bid. So yes. I'd say you have God, one up okay. on him. <laughs> that, yeah we, that, that, was, a was, a, that was a fun night football season. yes <laughs> oh fantastic eric i appreciate you joining me and as i mentioned in the intro we're going to talk edge guys because this edge class as i said is incredibly robust and there yeah. are guys uh from top to bottom that are just you could get day one starters um middle of day two because there's just so yeah. much talent in this group and let's let's kind of start at the top. Um, we obviously have Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, when you watch these guys and look at them, how do you how do you decipher your own rankings between the two? Because they each bring something a little different to the table, but their athletic profiles and their skill set on the field is tremendous. Yeah, both both really interesting players, and I think you know for a long time we were kind of talking about them as the possible one two picks in the draft, and you know obviously that's that's changed a little now. And, and, you know, I don't think that diminishes what came on Thibodeau could be as a football player. You know, I, I, I think people sort of feel like, cause I've, I wrote the story at the combine that, you know, he could slide out of the top five and that, you know, some teams weren't, weren't completely sold on him, at least as one of those sort of, you know, Bosa brothers, chase young level prospects, that type of thing. Miles Garrett. I don't think he's there. Um, 
you know, he's he's a he's a different cat, but he's a he's a smart guy. He's got a lot of charisma. He's got a lot of confidence. His you know flexibility is is really impressive. His you know strength when he when he engages it is really impressive. Um, he's probably got a little bit more versatility to his game than than uh, Hutchinson, but you know, I mean, not a vast difference there. I think it, with Hutchinson, everybody focuses on the you know the short arms, and and I think may, maybe make a little too much of that. I, I don't know that I see a consistent 13, 14, 15 sack guy in the NFL. I've, I've compared him a lot to, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know if he's going to be as successful a rusher as Max Crosby is, you know, somebody who, who's really turned into one of the, you know, top sack artists, but you know, the name Chris Long's come up a lot. I like that a lot. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Here's a, uh, you know, high floor, high character player who, We'll give you a lot of good reps. He'll, he'll be on the field all the time. He could stop the run. Um, although that that part of his game is still, you know, not perfect. I and mean, it's good. Um, and certainly can can penetrate the pocket, you know, come inside on twists and stunts and things like that. They're both really good football players. This is a year where, you know, they're being talked about in the top five, six, seven, eight picks, whatever it may be for, for Thibodeau. In a normal year, I suspect they'd be more like, the eighth to 12th overall picks or, you know, something in that range. Um, but because of the lack of high end talent, they've probably been pushed up a little bit. Uh, again, it's, you know, they're, they're the head of the class for the reason, for a reason. I think, you know, both are going to end up being pretty successful pros. I agree completely. And I, I want to dive in a little bit to the, uh, the reports that you kind of alluded to earlier about Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of reports, starting with Todd McShay at the Senior Bowl, talking about how um, Thibodeau didn't give enough effort at Oregon, and he isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily love football. And we've heard a lot of these reports over the course of time, and those reports will probably continue to be heard uh, throughout. But one question I have for you, uh, having talked to the man himself, and I've been covering the sport for a long time, do you believe that? Some of this stuff with Thibodeau has to potentially do with uh, NIL becoming a thing because this, like, uh, really talking about brand awareness and business potential has never been as big of a deal for college athletes as it is today because of because of the ability to make money off of your name and image and likeness. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it really is sort of a a sign of the times type of question where you have to ask yourself, you know, how much does this really matter to NFL people? um, And and through what prism should they be looking at this? And, you know, if you go back and read my story that I wrote at the Combine, when I I talked to a few people who, you know, um, one decision maker and one assistant general manager uh, in Indy, um, and one other person for that matter. I don't know if I quoted them Mm -hmm. in the story, but I used them for background anyway. You know, I, it definitely came up the idea of the branding, you know, the self as a brand type of thing. And and look, if you have a, a, a tremendous football player, who cares, right? I mean, that's that's the bottom line mm-hmm. is you just want to know what you're dealing with. If you have a superstar and they want to build their brand, what's stopping them? I don't think there are too many superstars out there who – you know, aren't sort of self-promoting or having other people do it for them or, you know, making them into household names for s- stuff beyond their play. If it doesn't interfere with the product on the field, who who really cares? But, and I haven't heard anybody specifically use those words that you mentioned in the McShay report about doesn't love football. 
I, I've suspected that some people wonder whether it's going to whether whether football, meaning the stuff you do in January, the stuff you do in May, you know, the stuff you do the the month before training camp, what have you, you know, does he love that part of the grind? I don't know the answer to that. I think they're trying to find that out. That's what the interview process is for. That's what you know, checking with your your trusted school sources, the the strength coach, you know, the position coach, all these different people. Um, you know, who hopefully you can get close to the answer or have an idea who the person is. And so, yeah, I, I do think that's sort of become a little bit more of a hot topic in the NIL era. Um, but I think NFL people are just now starting to try to figure out, you know, how do we interpret that and how do we, how does it affect our draft decisions? And are we using that information the right way? That's, I think the bottom line right there. I, I, th- I think you said it really well, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see if that ends up impacting his draft stock. Um, as of right now, we we believe Aiden Hutchinson's going first overall. Everything is trending towards an edge player to be at the top, especially with the tag of Cam Robinson. Um, and you have three guys that have been, quote-unquote, projected to go at number one from this edge group. You have Thibodeau, Hutchinson, who's the leader in the house. Then you have George's Trevon Walker. Where do you believe that uh, the Jaguars are going to go? Are they going to stick with Hutchinson here? Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, I mean, it's really interesting if you just look at the, if you try to interpret what the Jaguars are going to do based on their offseason moves, right? You're, you're fair to point out that, that they, they tagged Cam Robinson. They uh, saw some, some good stuff, I think, out of Walker Little down the stretch to where those theoretically could be your starting offensive tackles. And all the talk was about, Evan Neal, Equanu, one of one of those guys first. When I talked to Doug Peterson at the combine, I mean, he sort of, I said, "Look, you're on that 2013 Chiefs team as, as the OC. You guys drafted Eric Fisher first in an in a unusual draft. That was a uh, a strange year. There was no clear cut number one. I think uh, Luke Jokel went two, et cetera. I mean, it was you had to be picky, similar to this year in some respects. And I said, "What does it take to take a tackle number one?" He said. Well, they, they got to be pretty special. You know, they have to be, A, a day one starter. B, you know, have been battle tested. They have to, you know, the athleticism has to be top or close to the top. You know, and he, he had a long list of things that he felt like they, they that person needed. So that made me think that edge was realistic. But, you know, they brought in Ekwanu for a visit just the other day. They had Walker in. They've been doing work on him. So, yeah, I think Hutchinson's probably the the odds-on favorite. You know, Vegas has him in, in, installed as the favorite by by a pretty clear margin. You know, minus two hundred, mm-hmm. minus three fifty, whatever it is. But I don't know that it's set in stone. I mean, I I, I would say maybe it's an eighty-five percent chance. And then the the Lions really have an interesting call it too, and they've done work on Walker. Do they go back to the mm-hmm. offensive line, et cetera, et cetera? And it's gonna it's gonna be a you know, if this mystery keeps lingering, I think it's going to be a, a kind of a fascinating couple of weeks here as we get closer. But, you know, the Jaguars used the first round pick on, I know it was a previous staff, but, you know, Caleb on chase on, they have um, Josh Allen. Uh, they just signed Arden key, you know, so I don't know. I mean, the question is which position do they feel like they need more help at, you know, and, and which, which player has the most upside and that'll help determine. But, Hutchinson does check a lot of boxes for what I think they want. I agree completely. Last question on Thibodeau, and then we're going to move on to kind of that next tier. Um, we uh, we had uh, Ryan in the comments um, 
saying, if Thibodeau is the next Clowney, then I'll pass. And we've heard this comp before, Kayvon Thibodeau to Jadavian Clowney, including from the man himself. And and there are a lot of parallels to Clowney. And there are some negatives uh, to Clowney as well, especially when you talk talk about the consistency element. Uh, With that information, do you believe NFL teams might try to stay away from him because of the lack of overall like consistent success Clowney has had, or will that potentially be a benefit because he's been a consistent disruptor? Yeah, he has. I mean, when, when, when you watch Genevieve and Clowney at his best, I mean, he's a really good football player, right? I thought there were times last year, even that, you know, you said to yourself, boy, he can, he can impact games. There are certain times where you say, you know, he was the best player on the field, or at least for for part of that game, or he he made the play that 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 changed the game, that sort of thing. That's the kind of playmaking ability I believe Thibodeau has. But you know, he had that that weird sort of dispute with the Texans early in his career. You know, he's played on what three different teams in three years. He's been a player that that people use as sort of a hired gun. Um, and when you keep him motivated, you know, like you play well, you get another contract. He's generally, genuine, you know, generally speaking, he's done pretty well for himself. So that's my worry is that, you know, if, if Thibodeau hits a rough patch during his second or third year and, you know, the same thing could happen to Micah Parsons or anybody else, right? Young players can break out early, mm-hmm. look great as a rookie, and then people kind of catch up to them or adversity hits or they don't work quite as hard or whatever it may be. How will he react? You know, what's what's his what's his uh, response to that? And you know, Clowney's been able to sort of carve out a you know interesting career. I don't know what you I'd say overall been good, you know, but has he been special, consistently special? I don't think so. So yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit the worry. And when you hear the guy himself compare, you know, he says I'm Jadavion Clowney 2.0. I think a lot of people went. Ugh, you're not shooting higher, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you're not going uh, to the, to the very top here, but you know, I, I understood. I appreciated the fact that he has watched enough of his game and watched enough of Clowney's game to know that, you know, athletically speaking, there's, there's a lot of similarities. There really is a lot of similarities and I'm very intrigued to see where he ends up here at the next level, because there's a lot of, a lot of fascinating p- places that he could go. This next tier mm-hmm. of edge guys is very interesting. You've got uh, your Trevon Walkers, Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis. Yeah. And then at, at the very end of that tier, you could talk about Boye Mafia and Arnold Abichetti. Um When you look at this tier, they could go anywhere from potentially one or two overall in the case of Walker in top five mm-hmm. with Johnson. And then, then they could fall all the way down to the teens and the 20s. Um, so when you look at this second group, and especially with the case of Walker, who's an absolute alien moving in the middle of the field, but he has no pass rush savvy whatsoever at this right. point. And how do you parse that out? And how do you kind of group these guys together? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, and just for, for, you know, historically speaking, I should probably try to look up, you know, like when was the last true edge who went that high in the draft, who was, really that big a project from a pass rushing standpoint. And again, it's not like he doesn't have the physical ability. I think everybody, anyone who turned on the the TV during the combine knows like this is a special athlete, but you know, it's still raw in terms of his technique, in terms of, you know, how he tries to set up uh, uh, blockers, excuse me, um, stringing moves together, things like that, you know, keeping his eye on the ball. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, 
you know, aspects to it, you know, reading run versus pass based on the, you know, how the, the tackle sets and things like that. I mean, there, there's, there's so many different ways to get better at this stuff. And if you have a good D-line coach or a veteran in the room and, and what, the right scheme, obviously that stuff can flourish. But, you know, there are teams that have done studies that show that, you know, if you're a consistent sack producer in, in college, you tend to be, you know, you have more chance of being so in the NFL, whereas the other way around is a little bit more of a reach. So that's fascinating to me. But again, I understand why he's being considered at that point. Johnson, I mean, I, I still feel like on some level he's a little bit underrated. You know, I get that he had to get yes. out of Georgia and a and little bit older, you know, but, you know, he, we watched him down in Mobile and, and he was, uh, you know, for two days he owned practice and then he said, all right, I'm, I'm good. I think I've done what I, what I came here to do. And um, just a relentless guy and I think pretty good against the run as well. And, you know, there's times a little bit of a bull in a china shop, but still, I, I'll take that. I mean, I'll take a disruptor who, you know, th- needs to sort of clean up a thing here or two. Here. But he, he's, he's competitive. He's confident. He's, he's got the athletic traits you want to see at the position. Length is good. I mean, it's – I like him a lot as a football player, and I think he's more ready-made from a pass rush standpoint. Um, it may have more sex than Hutchinson in year one, you know, depending on where he falls and where he, where he ends up. So – um, Karlaftis obviously is, you know, he's really interesting too. And in that, you know, new to the position, you see that with a couple guys, you know, I mean, David Ajabo, who would have been in this same discussion pre-injury, you know, same, same idea of being raw, um, still developing as a football player. Uh, but Karlaftis relatively new to the sport, phenomenal athlete. Greek freak nickname fits. I mean, it's not a stretch to say that he does a lot of freaky things out there. You know, there were some games I was a little bit underwhelmed by what I saw, but some where you say, okay, yeah, I can absolutely see, you know, this guy working as part of a, you know, three man rotation at end and, and being, you know, a consistently good energy guy, pass rush juice guy, pursuit, the whole thing. I think he ends up more, Second half of round one, I, I I would be a little bit surprised if he went higher than, you know, the midpoint of the of the first round, unless there's a surprising run or something at like that, or or just you know the right team has him there, um, you know, Mafe too. I mean, it's you know he, he's he's a comer. I mean, he's on the he's on the move. Like you can see the progression with him, and it's exciting to if you watch some of his early tape. And I know you're up in that area or whatever, but you know. He, didn't really seem to know what he was doing, but he always gave you a great effort and gave you something out there. And I thought every day at the senior bowl, he just seemed to get a little incrementally better in the game. He finished strong as well. I think he had two sacks. So um, personally, do I see a first round edge in, in Boye Mafe? Not really, but I don't see, I, I mean, I, I kind of get it. Like I just, I, I feel like his, his ascension has been a, a little bit surprising to me, even though I was on him early and I liked him and everything. I just, to me, he'd be like the, the perfect mid second round pick, but I absolutely understand why people are big fans of his. And Evichetti, I would say is in that same sort of category of, you know, early in the year scouts were sort of, I had a guy compare him to Josh Uche and, you know, I mean, it was the guy, uh, the free agent from the charters this year, uh, Uchenna Nuoso. I mean, that type of a player where, you know, it's far from a finished product. But they do a lot of good things, and, and you know, they're a little bit atypical size-wise. Um, but 
you know, you could probably ask him to stand up and move around a little bit and be fine with that. I think he he blocked two kicks this year. He, you know, he does a lot of good things. I think Ebiketti will be probably a better pro than a college player, even with his breakout year this year. Yeah, uh, a lot of really good points there. And I kind of want to touch on Carlotis really quick, because as I was doing some of my research, I don't remember who gave him this comp, but I absolutely loved it. Carlotis uh, comp to a former Purdue Boilermaker, Ryan Kerrigan, and I can really oh, yeah. see his his career kind of playing out that way. If it, a team were to draft him and really use him like Ryan Kerrigan, inside and out, stand up, yeah. um, is that is that the best path for success for Karloftis? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you may want to figure out what the right weight is for him. You know, if he's going to be playing a little bit inside and on passing downs or things like that. You know, in the 260s, is he going to hold up in there? I don't know, maybe. You know, he's not the longest guy in the world. I mean, he's got some length, but, you know, it's, 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 he's a thicker built dude. I mean, you know, he's sort of built squarely in a little bit. So um, I, I can see it working, but I might want to beef him up a little bit if I do that. But yeah, I agree. The, 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 the power in his bull rush, you know, obviously, you know, you could beat him with, beat guards with quickness and things like that. I mean, he's, I, I really like the fact that, that he, he plays a big man game, but also has some, some quickness as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I worry about the lack of length a little bit, you know, that's, that's something that maybe is, is a little bit overblown, but he just, his effort is tremendous. The versatility is really attractive. The sense that I've gotten is, you know, his range is probably more 20 to 32, but that may have changed. That was, you know, maybe six or eight weeks ago that I'd heard that. So, um, I think he's he's going to be a, a high snap, high energy guy uh, who can line up in multiple spots and even be a you know a, maybe a three four end. Again, that's where the length question comes in. But it wouldn't it wouldn't stun me if somebody asked him to try to do that. When you talk about these five players that, that we just discussed, all of them have such a varying range of where they could be selected based on yeah. kind of your best guess. Which one do you think will end up being the best value selection where where, mm. where they get picked is going to be more in line with their talent? Because Walker is, at this point could go top three. And then Jermaine right. Johnson's got a range of like five to 15. And then Karloftis, mm-hmm. Mafe, and Ebiketti are kind of all over the board. The, who, yeah. Which player is going to be selected with the best value? That's a great question. I, I, I like the way you framed that because at that number – let's say Walker goes second, you know, or, or even fifth for that matter. I, I have a hard time thinking that he's going to end up being this tremendous value at five, right? To where we're mm-hmm. saying, oh, he should have gone first or second. I mean, maybe, right? Again, those tremendous athletic skills, you know, the character seems to be there, the work ethic. So, you know, he may have been overshadowed a little bit in that defense. He wasn't asked to sort of be this, this massive playmaker in that scheme either. So, you know, I again, I I see the path for success for him, but kind of rule him out for that reason, and probably Johnson as well, especially if he ends up in the top ten. So, I I think I would probably say Ebikati. I mean, I think that's, I guess that's the one where you say to yourself, you know, would it be stunning if he lasted until the Colts pick at forty two or something? No. You know, could you also see see him sneaking into round one? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But, you know, because of the depth of this class and so many different types of bodies and, and games that, you know, people can be a little pickier and choosier on that stuff. But, 
you know, he's, he's got the, the hand strength and technique. He can win in a lot of different ways. I think he's a, he's a pretty versatile player, even if you're, you know, you're really only playing him in one spot. I mean, I think he can, you know, he can string run plays out laterally. He can, you know, he's got, got eyes for the passing game. I think he's, you know, we've seen him impact the kicking game with the two blocks. Um, I, I just think his, his pass rush arsenal is pretty impressive. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a pass rush specialist by any means, but you can see him. He throws the kitchen sink at people. And so I think he's one of those players that if you don't ask him to play 800 snaps in a season, you know, where he's more of a 35, 40, 45 a snap a game guy, a little bit low that below that level, he could be really good. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's crazy to think because especially given his unusual path, right? I mean, learning the sport later, going to Temple, unheralded really until last year in a lot of ways so yeah i i would like him to to if he gets in the perfect spot he easily could be that value guy i agree completely um and then we'll we'll move on to some uh midday two picks and day three sleepers here in just a second but when you talk about this group uh when it pertains to the minnesota vikings they have a needed edge is it their most dire need anymore with the zadarius smith signing no but they don't have any concrete plan after this season at the position of edge. Uh, when you, you talk about pick 12, um, is there a player that makes the most sense for uh, what Ed Donatello is likely to do? And that's running Vic Fangio style defense. Yeah, that's the interesting part. I mean, especially if, if, you know, they, they truly plan to go to that, you know, that odd front and everything like that. I mean, I would probably say that, I mean, obviously, assuming Thibodeau isn't there, because he could stand up and, and rush and do all those different things. Yeah, I mean, Johnson would be nice, but I think his responsibilities would be a little bit more limited. You know, I mean, that's a that's a really tough call there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to know a little bit more about what they're planning to do, but at 12, it feels like the options are a little bit limited because I don't know that Thibodeau or Johnson will be there. You know, I I can't believe Walker would be there. Karlaff, this feels a little bit early to me. Ojabo's now out of the, the top, you know, 15, 20 mix with the injury. I don't know that there's a player that I would love taking there. And the, and the question you would have is, okay, you know, what what can Jermaine Johnson do on his feet? Can he be a you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of, I don't know. I mean, I guess like dimensions wise, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody who, who they've, you know, that style of defense has had, and I'm just not coming up with a lot of names right now. So it's, it's a tough one for me. I think what really makes it uh, even tougher is just kind of how Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith are likely to be deployed. Cause when you watch uh, the green Bay Packers yeah. defense for the past couple of years, Zadarius was playing all over the place. He had a game in yep. 2019 against the Vikings where he ruined the season and cost the, uh, the Vikings a shot at the division title by just wrecking things from the A gap and B gap. A gap, being yeah. On the side. Yeah. yeah. So the diverse skill sets of both of those players really make that even more intriguing because you want to draft probably more of a diverse guy instead of a specialist, which it feels like Johnson's going to – you're going to want to put him in a three- or four-point stance relatively system. Yeah, I agree. Well, That's where I hesitate a little bit. Could he drop a little in space? Sure. Is that what he does best? No, I don't think so. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, when you talk about kind of this next tier, you're, you're talking more day two guys. Uh, but really the biggest wild card is David Ojabo, who had a legit chance to be a top 10 pick before popping his Achilles at the Michigan Pro Day just two weeks ago. Uh, when you look at Ojabo and how explosive he is and how, how much he relies on just having a elite first step in quickness, the Achilles injury yeah. can really destroy all of that. Um, when yeah. you look at him and how he projects out to the next level, how are you parsing that out with his draft stock? It, it, you, you mentioned he's probably not going to be in contention for the top 15 to 20, which makes sense. Is he somebody that could be taken by the Packers or Chiefs in the back end of this first round because they have multiple picks and they can afford to take that shot? Or does he just fall to the second round because it's an Achilles and you generate so much power from your legs? Yeah, you, you make a great point that Achilles injury, you know, especially the bigger the guy or the more explosive movements that you're having to make, that's a worry. And, and it's not like he was going to come in. Let's say the injury doesn't happen, right? He went through his pro day, everything went fine, and, and we're still talking about him as a top 15 or 20 pick. You're still drafting him as a project, as sort of a Rashawn Gary type, right? If you want to, you know, you know, obviously same school and and – same range of the draft. You mentioned the Packers earlier. You know, Gary was laughed at by by a lot of people, including Packers fans, when that pick was made. But I think what they were able to do was project a little bit and say, you know, his role is going to be a little different than it was in Don Brown's defense. You know, we're going to have to get him a little stronger here, a little better against the run, a little more consistent, teach him the finer points. But, boy, last year you saw, you know, a, a very improved product, and they feel pretty good about that one now. So, he was that kind of player before the injury, and I didn't think he was great against the run. And I felt like it was all gas, no breaks as a rusher. And, you know, it just felt like, you know, he's still kind of processing things a little bit. I, I have no doubt that he's got the capacity to do it, but I do think that injury, you know, just because Cam Akers came back, you know, way faster than anybody expected doesn't mean that every future Achilles injury is treated the same. So, I'm worried, man. I don't know. What he you also think? wasn't that effective either. So, like, uh, and right. that's yeah. the difficult part. He wasn't good in the playoffs. He averaged less than three yards a carry. And the Super Bowl, he averaged, I think, 1.9. You're, you're not talking about a guy who came back and he was true to form. You're talking about a guy who's right. probably fumbles, still a year yeah. away from actually being effective. Yep, yep. And, right, and, like, you know, Achilles, boy, you you – you come back too soon and you're not, you know, I mean, then, then you rupture it again. I mean, then it's, then it's real trouble. So yeah, that's, that worried me when he came back early for two reasons. One, his own health Two, the idea that the timetable is somehow magically changed on Achilles injuries. That's going to be an off season story for me. I mean, I really want to dive into that more when I have more time is to say, you know, is this a fluky case or is this sort of the new norm? Do we learn something from his rehab or did we, you know, like you pointed out, we, we didn't see the same player. They had to use him. I mean, or they felt they had to use him. Um, but still, I agree. I I, I worry about, about uh, Ojabo a little bit. And I hope he doesn't, you know, I mean, the mental parts can be tough for him. The rehab followed by a lot of sitting and watching. And then mostly year two expectations will come in pretty big, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's kind of a difficulty with him, too. Uh, it, a team that already has an established pass rush where there's not going to be that pressure. And that's why yeah. I identified the Packers and the Chiefs. You have two swings in the first round. You can likely afford, even with that narrow window the Packers have, to take a shot. 
And that's why Jamison Williams has also been in discussion too, because you don't need him to you know, be effective day one. Day 30 is just yep. fine because if he's that good, it doesn't matter. Um, as we kind of move on, because we've got just a little bit of time before we jump into the mock draft, um, sleeper guys. Um, there's a couple guys that I really like uh, in the mid to late rounds. That's One of them we saw in Mobile, uh, D'Angelo Malone. He's a, he's a little slender, but I absolutely love his yep. burst and bender on the edge. Um, Alex Wright from UAB is another guy that I I have I, I've really enjoyed watching. And uh, Tyreek Smith was really fun to watch in Mobile. And there are some other guys. This this edge class arguably goes 20, 25 deep. And you're talking about Jeffrey Gunter from Coastal Carolina potentially being a seventh round pick. It's round like right. 20 to 25. Yeah. And that that to me is just insane because he's a very good yeah. player. Who are some of your favorites uh, in the back end of this group that you think can make a real contribution early? This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Yeah, early. Okay. Um, you know who could who could do it? And it, it wouldn't shock me, Sam Williams. I mean, he's got a lot to learn, and there's some character stuff. And, you know, I mean, he's not, you know, there's a reason why he didn't get a senior bowl invite right away. and. You know, there's a reason why he's not being talked about as a, you know, a first or early second round pick. And his pass rush technique, I don't think is anything special. It's a little crude in some ways. It's like, let me maul the tackle is, you know, run right through him if I can. And sometimes it works, but, you know, his effort is so there, you know, and I heard some of the quotes from the combine, just sort of him feeling like he was a little bit disrespected and things like that. And, you know, I could see him being an energy guy and, and really, you know, landing in the right system and doing pretty well for himself. He's, he's fascinating. I, I guess I'll say it that way. I, I, I can't quit him. That's <laughs> another way to put it, I guess. Um, Josh Pascal, I think is a, is an underrated player in some ways. Uh, you know, another guy with some special teams value and a little bit of versatility, I think can, you know, line up in a number of techniques. He's got some length to him too. Kentucky's had a sneaky good sort of NFL uh, minor league feeder system, if you will. I mean, they've had some players develop in the last few years. They're well coached. Uh, I, I feel like he might be one who, who, again, sort of a better pro than college player. Uh, going down a little bit, I would say, you know, Michael Clemens from AM, I, I feel like he gets a little bit of a bad rap. I like him in the middle rounds. I think he could end up being a, uh, again, another guy with some, some character stuff that has to be sorted out. But but I think he's a, he's a better football player than he gets credit for being. You mentioned Alex Wright. That's a really good pick. Another guy who 
you know, in a normal year of edge depth, we might be talking as a, you know, sort of, you know, borderline top 50 or 60 guy, but you know, he's maybe a little bit lower than that just because of the fact there are so many good ones. I don't know what to do with, with, with Sanders and Cincinnati just because of the, the, the weight questions, but he's a really good football player. And you mentioned Gunter too, boy, uh, talk about a kind of a junkyard dog and a guy who has, who could bring it. I, I really like him. So he'll, he'll make an excellent six round pick for, you know, like a bad football team and end up starting by week nine. I think, I, I think that's going to end up being the hallmark <laughs> of this class is the depth throughout. No, the, the depth throughout this class is just crazy. There are two more guys I want to touch on, and then we're going to get to that mock draft. USC's sure. Drake Jackson, who was mentioned in the yeah. comments, and then um, Virginia Tech's Amari Barno. Uh, Drake Jackson was pro- projected to potentially be a top 10 pick during the summer, yeah. and now he's kind of looking like he's, he's a solid day two, maybe even early day three guy. And Barno, yeah. I can't figure out how to project him because he, he tested in the four threes for speed. But there were so many inconsistencies for me on tape. Uh, what do you see in these guys, and how, where do you think their value lies? Yeah, I think Drake Jackson is, yeah, another guy who's kind of been forgotten about a little bit, especially like you said with all the kind of the top twenty hype that he got at one point. Um, you know, I think he was a little bit miscast at USC. I mean, like the role he was playing was probably not. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him moving forward a little bit more. And, and but he's loose, limber guy. He can, you know, he can, he's athletic as heck. I just think that he's going to have a hard time earning a first and second down role and, and, and right away. I would say I just, his lack of power in his game surprised me a little bit. Um, just sort of felt like, just the lower body strength may not be fully developed yet. So he's one that probably needs to spend a year in a conditioning program before he's, you know, before that talent can maybe, you know, kind of uh, develop a marinate, if you will. And you're right about Barno. I, I talked to somebody at Virginia Tech early in the year that I said, you know, tell me about this guy. And, and he is so fascinating in so many ways, but yeah, he's, I, I think he's scheme specific um, and he's not a complete player, but you see some kind of, freaky little things that he does out there and you want to maybe like him a little bit more than, 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 than what his tape suggests you should, you know? And so I'm trying to look at my notes here while I talk, but yeah, I just, I don't know. He, he's the one that I think probably ends up day three. If I had to guess, even with the numbers that he put up, I just, I feel like there, there's enough questions and, and holes about his game that, that especially in this class that may, cause him to slip through the cracks a little bit. Yeah, this this edge class and how it how it ends up uh playing out is going to be really fascinating and I'm really excited to see what it does because it's it's really going to be a pick your flavor at at the top and then I as agree. it trickles down throughout because there's just so many different types of players and we talked about it with Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Johnson, Walker, Karloftis. It's this this may be the best singular group we've seen come out in a, in at least the last decade of one single position. Cause there's just so, so, so many talented players. Yeah. From a depth perspective. Absolutely. Again, I don't, I don't see Hutchinson as this, as a Nick Bosa. I really don't. I don't, I don't think he'll ever be that destructive game wreck, you know, game changing player, but I'd be shocked if he wasn't something right. I feel pretty good about Kayvon Thibodeau having some, some strong moments in the league. Walker, there's so much upside. It's hard not to like him. So for a top three, that's pretty good start. 
And then, you know, really, I would say from the mid first until about the mid fourth round is unusual to see that much depth. So last question, and then uh, Dave will have you get the mock draft set up here quickly. Where, If you are picking for the Vikings, where is going to be your best value spot to try and maximize? Because one thing we know about Kwesi Dofo-Mensa, he is a yeah. market manipulator, and he is an expert on maximizing value. Where do you think he's going to end up maximizing the value of this edge class? Yeah, I think it's going to be somewhere on day two. I th- if I had to guess, and and I know they've they've got, I think they have their original picks, if I'm not mistaken, and then there's a little bit of a gap. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's it's probably going to end up being. I mean, my my gut says probably the the second round pick is going to still going to still give them a player that I think they'd feel pretty good about. But it wouldn't stun me if it was the third rounder, or if they felt like they, you know, could move back from their second round pick or move up from their third round pick. So. Somewhere between, I don't know whether at 45 or something and, and 75 or wherever, mm-hmm. somewhere in the, in the, it, between those two picks, uh, I think is where the, the likelihood is that, you know, you, you want to get, uh, you know, Logan Hall and make him a five tech. Sure. You can do that. If you want to get uh, a Dominique Robertson, Robinson in round three, cause you think he's got upside. Great. You can do that. You know, Nick Benito is more of your three, four OLB type, whatever you know, that, that he should be available in that, in that range as well. So I think the options will be more plentiful and somebody will fall some unexpected or one or two for that matter at that position, because of what we've talked about. Absolutely. Dave, let's get the mock draft uh, machine rolling. And as we do that, I'm going to talk quickly about our sponsor, Lake monster brewing. We will be live on Friday, February, April 29th, not February, February just happened. Um, it, going live at 5.30 Central Time for the NFL Draft, talking Vikings, talking uh, how the first round shaped up. And we are going to be live all night. Make sure you come join us and get a delicious Lake Monster Brew from the brewery, or you can stop by my liquor store. You can hit me up, and I I will tell you exactly where that is. Um, Eric, this is how it's going to work. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about each pick, and we're going to make the pick with the, with the Draft Network Mock Draft Simulator. And I'm going to let let you kind of take control because they have heard all my opinions on all these guys and how the boards fall. And we've taken receiver oh at 12. We've taken edge player. We've taken corner. We've taken Malik Willis. We've done just about everything. So the goal of this show is to educate uh, these great Vikings fans about the different possibilities. Because with a new GM, you really don't know any of the thresholds. You don't know what the priorities are going to be. You don't, we don't really know much at all. We can project, but we don't know. So, yep. Dave, let's get it rocking and rolling. We are going to start the draft here. Uh, Mateo, no, I do not ship out of state. It, unless you have a distributor's license, it is illegal to mail beer. So, I am not a... Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick and who's your favorite choice? That intro gets me excited every time. And the best part is my guy Bailey Zappi finishing it off. Oh, I love me some Bailey Zappi. All right, Dave, All right, fire it up. Let's get here? it started. Set it up. Okay. 
Easy. Dave's Dave's gonna hit start. We're gonna do just the first three picks, and no pressure. It's it's this is all fun and exploring different scenarios. Gotcha. All right, so we have three trade offers. Trade. Always take the trade. All right. First one. You're gonna have to help me with that. I yeah. Yeah, it's hard to see. I know. Cardinals want us to move down to 23. Uh, get their third, sixth, and a both six. For our first at 12. Then we have Chargers move down to 17 plus their fourth in the sixth for our 12. Oh. And so you move two spots down, you get a fourth and a whatever? Yep. And then the Saints. Or no, no, five spots down, sorry. Five uh, spots. Saints, they're 16th of fourth and a fourth. And that's it. Which I don't oh, they, believe they, 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 did, they. They did update. Yeah. Because of the trade today. Right. Yeah, I'm glad they updated that. Okay. But we can't see who the first 11 picks are, right? Without without nah, without the declining. Yeah. Yeah. Without declining. So this is like a mystery pick. <laughs> I don't know. That's pull that second trade up again. I'm kind of tempted here. What do you think here? We got we're getting a four and uh because we don't have a four right now, I believe, right? We're missing yep. a fourth round. I know we're not making a fourth round pick, but I'm gonna include it in my value. And then a six. I'll tell you what, without knowing who the without knowing who the guys on the board are, which does make it tough, uh, mm-hmm. that one would tempt me the most. But should we just go traditional choice here? What do you think? I'm I'm okay with, with taking the offer. And what's really intriguing is uh getting the six round pick would give the Vikings four six, which would give them ammo to move up in rounds four, rounds five, and even in round yep. three even just to go up a couple spots. So it gives us ammunition. Um, I think we take the trade and let uh, the Chargers come up for either Jordan Davis or a wide receiver. Yeah. And, you know, look, if not, if they can't move those picks, you just dominate the airwaves on Saturday. I mean, like you own the sixth Mm -hmm. round. That's There's something to be said for that, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. No more trades. We're going to make a pick. Let's let's get rid of that that trade offers. I think we're, we're staying in pat. Now let's see. Okay. So, All right. So, so got... here's what's interesting. We could have taken Jermaine Johnson. Um, so he went off the board. Penning, Booth, London, and Williams are all off the board. So your top players are Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Pickett, Zion Johnson, Trent McDuffie, Tyler Linderbaum, George Karloftis, Kenyon Green, Devin Lloyd, Jahan Donson, and my wide receiver one, Chris Olave. Mm, 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 mm. And receiver, I still think is a position they'll they'll look at. You know, I mean they, you know, I understand you got one of the best young ones in the game, but you got to think about life after Adam Thielen too. And and I don't know, it's a possibility, but I don't know that that's my first instinct. Um, Let me ask you this real quick, Eric. I've I'm under the yeah. impression that with the Adams and Hill extensions, we're going to see wide receiver rookie contracts become much closer in value to NFL teams that quarterbacks on rookie contracts will be. So I think it's even more in play now than it was two months ago. And Kevin O'Connell loves three wide receiver sets. We don't have depth enough to do three wide receiver sets. Right. You've got, you've got KJ and what else, right? We don't really know if, who do we even have here? Amir Smith-Marset and BC Johnson. (laughs) BC, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I tell you what, 
it, it, it just feels like it makes a lot of sense to the question is though, you know, the Browns wasn't clear how they valued the wide receiver pick in the in, in, wide receiver position in the draft previously. But the point you make is a good one, which is with all the contracts going up as far as they are to be able to get five years at, at a, you know, discount rate. I, I really do think it makes plus, you know, again, I like KJ Osborne. I really did. I, I watched him coming out and I felt like this is, you know, a very draftable player, good, good football player. Wouldn't it make sense to add another guy? I'm really tempted because you don't need you don't need the nose tackle, right? I mean, you got Tomlinson and who else? Mm-hmm. I mean uh, Harrison I Phillips. I know this is taken. And Harrison Phillips too, right? Yeah. Um I mean, of those guys, I have the the ones that just league-wide value, I, I would say, you know, Davis sticks out, and Olave isn't lasting too much longer. Should we do it? Should we take a wide out? Do it. I, I, I've been very vocal about the fact that I think Chris Olave is the best wide receiver in this draft. I think he's being overlooked because of prospect fatigue, and some of the same reasons Justin Jefferson ended up being overlooked, just – incredibly right. technical explosive in and out of breaks great at the catch point he's not garrett wilson great at the catch point but he he knows how to no. get up and high point the football and i yeah he's just I not gonna power through more people pounds. right yeah yeah um i love olave and if he goes to the packers i'm going to cry because that's that's <laughs> my worst case scenario and and part of what i mean like Yes, he opened things up for other people, but you know their talented receivers open things up for him. If you go to a place like Minnesota, mm-hmm. he's going to see single coverage. He's going to you know impact the way. Chris Olave, we're we're doing it. I, I like it. I, I wouldn't have come up with that one originally, but I, I like the pick. All right, Chris Olave, wide receiver one to the Minnesota Vikings, giving Kirk Cousins one less excuse for not making a successful run here in the twenty twenty two season. Dave, what is the pick? It's hard to read. That should make it a little bit better. The Jets are offering their second round 38, and uh, they want to receive our second round 46 and six rounder. Done. Let's do it. Let's move up. Yep. There we go. Six rounder? Do you think this is requisite? Do you think that's requisite value to actually happen on draft day? No. That's why yeah, I that's did. why I ran the placard up to the the virtual, <laughs> you know, whatever. Oh, Jabo just went off the board. I was going to say if he's still there, you know, I would at least have thrown yeah, his name yeah. out there. So, okay. Um, what do you what do you think? Looking at this group, Perry and Winfrey as a five tech, and then move inside to three tech on pass rush downs. Does he have that kind of versatility? Ooh. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, I could, I could sort of get behind that. What are the other positions that you think are most uh, pressing? Um, just so I keep them in my head here. I mean, cornerback. Yeah, corner is okay. definitely one. Um, it, this uh, fan base is very divided. I am anti Stingley at twelve, um, and right. a lot of the fan base is anti Trent McDuffie at twelve, especially because of the arm length concerns. Um, yeah. A lot of people that listen, we've been I've been seeing a lot in the comments. Tariq Wolin and we, you and I talked about Wolin a decent amount in Mobile. I I think he's yeah. fascinating because half his reps are like, "Wow, this guy could be Darrell Revis." Half his reps are like, <laughs> "Man, maybe he should go back to wide receiver." 
like <laughs> trying to project his potential has been has been very difficult. Um, but that's it, that's a dart throw you'd like to take. Yeah, he really is. I mean, I also see Kyler Gordon there, and you know, I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a pretty good player right there. I think in in time and Woolen, obviously with his length. Can totally understand that. I think both could play, you know, man coverage. Wow, this is really interesting too. I'll say this: I know Demarvin Leal gets a lot of a lot of garbage on on Twitter, and for you know, he didn't play as, as well as he did, but there he might be off the board by this point. I've heard some surprising information lately on him still going relatively high despite not working out well. But whatever, I'm not the one making the picks, so. Um, where would you play him? Three technique, or would you play him in a five in the three four? Five, maybe a five. I mean, three is probably his most natural spot, I would say. But you know, he's sort of a jack of all trades. He could probably he's, I you know, he might be a, a versatile fit. I don't. I think he's a reach here, though. I still wouldn't take him at thirty. Where are we? Thirty eight here. Um, yep. Oh, oh boy, I'm clock's running out on me here. I kind of like your Winfrey idea. So, I think that that makes some sense. It's not perfect, but it's it works. I think it works. There we go. Perry and Winfrey, uh, the absolute game wrecker that we saw in Mobile, Alabama, where they were double teaming yeah. him in simple drills, which was one of yep. the oddest things I had seen. Yeah. He almost got – who did he almost get killed? Was it Ritter in the first day or something? like? Uh, he, I mean, like no uh, the quarterbacks. He, penning through – um that's I, what it was i think it was uh isaiah thomas oh no isaiah right thomas okay like, maybe it was that's what I, it was i've got i've got a perfect shot of it oh you do floating around <laughs> on Twitter. yeah all right so we could give up right. 77 and a six to go up to 64 um that's a that's a little bit of a crazy value right there um that's yeah i usually say no to these because i don't think it's realistic right exactly yeah the other one dave let's yeah, maybe. But yeah, I agree. Let's pass on the offer and, and attempt to mimic real life here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 68 and 108 I, for 77 and what? Oh, okay. 123 and 191. Mm, so it's a three for two I'd say no. and you move up. So, yeah, I agree. And then you you move up 15 in the fourth round. I just that's so far from realism. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We go down seven spots. We get a late seventh. That's probably a no. Yeah. Get a six to go down eight, eight spots. Yeah. Nah. That's a no too. As hot as those six rounders are, you know. Mm-hmm. All, All right. right. Quarterback is at the top of the list with both Howell and Carson Strong. Um, okay. Darian Kennard, Darian Beavers, Chanel. What do you think of Chanel? Like, one, where would you play him? I've And I've seen some people on Twitter talk about him as a top 20 player in this class. I don't think his coverage skills are anywhere near close to being anywhere, no. any close to that evaluation. Where do you believe Chanel is valued and where do you have him? I I would say I have him late second round, early third, if I had to guess. I mean, he's a great run stopper and he's he's like um 
like Jawan Bentley or something like that, you know, like big, you know, kind of, I mean, obviously he's, he's got athletic skills. I just, like you said, I don't think he's all that fluid in coverage, you know, but mm-hmm. for the right team, this wouldn't be too early. I mean, I, I would say this is about where he'll go off the board. I just think it's going to be scheme specific for him and you, you really can't ask him to do too much coverage wise. You know, can he cover a back in the flat? Maybe, but I don't really, I don't know. Um, Dan right, thinks so we should me, look at Troy uh, Anderson. Mm-hmm. And play him as so a, at, when, like a inside linebacker or a rusher. That's the, I, I mean, think I, you'd have the flexibility to do a little bit of both early on and try and figure out what, uh, what suits him the best. Ideally, I think he'd be the Eric Kendricks replacement if you make that selection here. Um, linebacker it is a decent need edges as well. So you could kind of do a two for one special, especially as you figure out how you want to utilize him. Um, safety mm-hmm. and corner and guard are probably the three biggest needs here uh, for the Vikings. Well, I was going to say Kennard as a possibility there. That's, that's I'm glad you mentioned guard just because I thought, you know, but Abraham, Lu- Abraham Lucas still yeah. on the board too. I like him better than, did, than Petty Did he Frere. play inside though? No. The the, no, the one so. position the Vikings don't need is tackle. Is a tackle. Yeah. No, I'm just looking at who's available a little bit. Like Ed Ingram, I wouldn't take this high, I don't think. Um, I, I assume the Vikings don't need to draft what about like Cole their Strange? 18th tight end. Ooh, Cole Strange. <laughs> just visited the, Vikings the team have a too, right? Tight end, actually. Yes, he did. Um, the sneaky need is that Irv Smith's going to final year, year of his deal. He's a move tight end, not a great blocker, yeah. and there's no depth behind him. So it, it is a sneaky they lose need, but it's not one of dire consequences. Yes, okay. Conklin would yeah, I, Oh, that's right. I was trying to remember. I did not even remember that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I would say it's probably either – you know they brought in Strange. Strange is pretty good, man. I like that guy. He, 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 he definitely lost some reps in Mobile, but then he'd come back the next one and kick the dude's tail. You know, and it was it was impressive. He's one of those guys that, yeah, I think he's going to be overwhelmed on certain reps, but boy, he's got some smarts to him. He's got some fight. You know, some people say he's a better he's better going to be a better fit at center. I think guard he's going to be fine. Um, yeah, late third, I, I can get behind that pick. I mean, I personally think uh, the Kentucky kid's a little better, but but I I think they're pretty close. Is he better in a, a wide zone? Because that's the one concern that's, I have with him. Good call. Strange would be better in that, I think. You're probably right on that. All right. Cole Strange, that, that, that wraps up the draft. So we ended up with Chris Olave. Perry and Winfrey, yeah. Cole Strange. When when you look at that, that's a pretty good haul. But with the Vikings situation in the secondary, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. How do you how do you feel about not taking anybody in the secondary? I mean, not great. <laughs> if I'm being honest, it didn't really uh, you know it didn't line up perfectly, and that's and that's the nature of the draft. Like I always say, if you sit there and, and as a GM and worry about every need like well we have these six needs and we have seven picks we better nail you know it doesn't work out that way some years you're going to not come out of the draft with a need right and guess what as we've seen this offseason 
people are more open to trades. They're certainly going to be, it's not as like it used to be, but there'll be some post-draft cuts, June one cuts, what have you. Um, you know, there will be contract disputes, players who want out, get traded, whatever. You can fill your needs in other ways. This is not the end of the line, as I always tell people. So mm-hmm. take the best football players. You know, maybe you take a shot on a guy in round four. I can't think of somebody off the top of my head, but I I, I would rather have three great, you know, or good to very good, maybe great players with Olave and Winfrey that – as opposed to filling a need and getting somebody who's not as good. You know, I mean, that just seems like, you know, the way you have to think of it. Absolutely agree. Eric, I want to say thank you for taking your time out of your day to come on the show. And it really helped yes, me sir. educate the fan base on this edge class and how we can make the Vikings better. I know you have a lot of really fun stuff coming up uh, with Yahoo. Uh, what do you have coming up for the people? And where can Where exactly can they find you and your work? Yeah, you go over to Yahoo Sports. My Twitter handle is Eric with a C underscore Ed Holm. And uh, biggest thing, closest to my heart, most important thing I'm working on is uh, carrying on the uh, tradition of the late Therese Paler, who was uh, who made the All Juice team his baby, his you know his project for years that he did. His last one was in 2020. We lost him last year. It, you know, it, it was so stunning. It still is in a lot of ways, and the, the outpouring of a you know, of, of well-wishing has been so strong even now. I mean, people are still asking about him, but I mean, literally I could, I went to teams and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're working on the juice team. Can you, can you maybe throw me some names? I haven't had one person say no, because they all love Therese. They love his work. So we're, we're, we're putting that together. I believe the 19th is when that one's coming out. So we got a little time to work and I'll probably squeeze out a mock draft and a few more uh, scouting reports in between now and then. But, yes, the all-juice team will be carried on one more year. Rest in peace, Therese. We're still thinking about you, buddy. The all-juice team is one of the best pieces of the year. I'm looking forward to it, and it's really cool that you guys are carrying that on in his his honor because he was, as you said, one of the best. Yeah, support the uh, the, the Therese Paler Foundation, uh, You know his, his alma mater, Howard University, sell t-shirts if you don't have a juice an all juice team sweatshirt or t-shirt i've got like seven of them just just go buy them they're awesome they're comfy they look great and it helps a, a tremendous cause uh, supporting black journalism at, at howard university in therese's in memory perfect well we'll make sure we include it in the show notes and i'm going to go shopping here in a little bit dave we yeah. have a lot of stuff coming up this week welcome to the show hey. yes we have right, tell us what we got going on Tomorrow night, we have In the Huddle. Jason and Miles have been working on what they plan to talk about. It's pretty interesting. Uh, You'll find out tomorrow. Wednesday, we have Vikings Happy Hour. We will not be at the brewery this week. We will be in our own haciendas, and we'll be talking some good stuff. And there is a guest. I didn't look up, but I guarantee there is a guest. Should be fun. Thursday, unfortunately, unless there's some really earth-shattering news, you will not have Viking hot takes. And then, of course, back on Saturday, once again, you get myself and Darren Campbell as two old bloggers. We want to thank our favorite beer in Minnesota, Lake Monster, for such a great show. And, Eric, I want to appreciate tell you I appreciate you coming on, talking draft, helping educate us and the fans on some of those edge pro- uh, prospects 
it is good to know you can never have enough, just like the corners. I always like the big guys <laughs> in the front that can rush and uh, annihilate a quarterback. It warms my heart. Yes, sir. Tyler, what awesome. do we say? Well, hey, with that being said, from Dave, from Eric, and myself, have yourself a great Monday. We hope we turned it a little purple and skull. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.